Welcome to the PAMPE podcast. In this series, we interviewed a range of people identifying as men and asked them about their experiences in the discipline of physical education. Oh, it's like Rembrandt painting pictures of death camps. The average person is allergic to the words of wisdom. This is for everyone that's the damn's Kurdish murder victims. And all the pure souls that never had the chance to speak. Truth pumps in my arteries and cause my heart to beat. Another episode in our Male Leaders series. Today we have joining us is Mr. Giles Smith. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you identify, please? Okay, so I'm Giles Smith, as you've said. I'm currently a head of PE in a school in South East London. I've been teaching PE since 2004. Uh, my experience in PE has been varied. I taught in Cardiff for 11 years in a multicultural school, um, one of the biggest schools in Cardiff. And then I taught in South London, um, as I said, since 2014. I've taught in a large uh, multi-academy trust and I'm now in a much smaller academy that's only been open for a few years um, so I've had the opportunity to go into an established department and make some changes and also set up a new department so in terms of PE I'd like to say that I've got a great experience in terms of how the national curriculum has changed I've got a large experience in how the challenges have changed in terms of delivery of PE what has suited students and what hasn't suited students and now with the new um, GCSEs and so on and BTECs and A-levels I've also got an insight into that so I like to say I'm, I'm quite well experienced um, in PE and also being a head of department. That's fantastic thank you so you touched a little bit on it but could you tell us how you came to be about in your current PE position so if you want to go back as far as sort of school um, sort of like did you do GCSE PE and then your journey in Okay, so my journey basically with sport is quite um, quite different to some teachers. I've come into sport as I used to play a professional um, sport. I was a cricketer. I left school at 16. Um, so I left school without any um, A-levels. So I was playing cricket um, most of my time and I was doing college courses, i.e. BTECs, to, to obviously upskill myself. Um, that, that sporting journey went on till I was 21 years old. Um, I was at uh, Essex as a, as a young professional. I didn't get a full professional contract, so I had to seek some form of, of, of academic success. So fortunately for me, because of my sporting um, skills, I had the opportunity to go into an academy um, in Cardiff, study alongside the academy, and also get the opportunity to, 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 to play cricket as well. That was for three years. And during that period, um, one of the lecturers, who was also one of the cricket coaches, asked me, how do I feel about teaching? Because you're going through university, you're not sure what you're gonna do. I love sport, I was coaching also at the time. Um, so I was put into the Cardiff Council. I was delivering like coaching sessions um, with the local community. And it was good fun. So I really felt um, driven by doing something in sport with young, young people. So I got on the PGC, fortunately, um, had two different experiences, had inner city school experience in Cardiff, um, my first placement, which was very, very challenging. Small facilities indoors, very good facilities outdoors, but mainly as in being in Cardiff, it was more of a rugby school. So rugby was the main thing. 
Um, so I had to develop skills in other ways, gymnastics, basketball, things that maybe I did when I was doing PE in school myself, but didn't really pursue as, as an individual. So then my second placement was a much um, more wider um, skilled PE school. So I had swimming, had athletics, had um, cricket, had softball, had rounders. We had everything. We had rugby. They had academies within the school. They had elite performance groups. So as my PGC, I would say my second school, which is Triorki Comprehensive, I have to name it because it's a very, very good um, school for sport and PE. And that school at that time had eight PE teachers. So you, you can imagine the experience I had learning off um, very strong, very established, very old school um, PE teachers, but they taught me how to deliver what I say is a very good lesson, but also how to challenge and stretch students' abilities to an elite level. So a lot of guys that I taught at the time, whether they're younger or older, went on to play basketball for Wales, Welsh internationals, um, British Lions, rugby players, like some of the guys I taught, I can look up now and think, wow, like I had an impact on those guys when I taught them. And it really um, made me feel like I want to teach. So having that experience in Wales, as a black male, the opportunities to get a job were slim. Um, it was challenging. I started applying in my PGC year, I started applying for, for jobs in the November. I'm from Hertfordshire, so I applied to schools that applied to my skill set because I was a cricketer. So I was applying to private schools. Now, based on my background and based on the level that I play cricket at, I thought this is a walk in the park. However, when you go for an interview and when you get that opportunity, you get to realise that it's a close shot. So I might be good on paper and I might even be the best person there. However, my face didn't fit in that environment. So a number of interviews, a number of challenges. I remember going for an interview in, in um, the valleys just outside of Cardiff and myself and another um, PGC student who was on my course, smiley guy, mixed race. His name's Khalid. My name's Giles. So we went for the interview and um, before meeting any of the students or meeting any of the um, other teachers and so on, we met the head teacher or the headmistress and the headmistress came up to me and called me Khalid, expected me to be, yeah, and <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it was like, it was like a weird, weird experience, but it made me wake up very quickly that, you know, the road to success is not going to be easy and the road to employment was going to be hard. I was very fortunate to get a job in the school in Cardiff that I got. Um, the then head of boys at the time has a cricket background. Um, he obviously found an interest in what I had. I had the interview. The interview went really well. The facilities were very basic, but I knew I could have an impact in that school. The school had over 75 different languages. The school had minimal indoor facilities because they were building a new sports hall. So I was working with no sports hall, outdoor facilities, a leisure centre across the road that had a swimming pool and a multi-fitness suite, but no indoor facility again, and then a little mini gym. And what I learned 
in those first two years was how to teach on-site with the facilities that we had, but also we used to take kids off-site. We used to go to a facility 15 minutes away on the bus, and that facility was a huge football pitch, huge rugby pitch. So I got to hone my skills in an open environment, but I was under the tutelage of the same teacher all the time. And he basically gave me free reign. Whenever I went to teach my lesson, and this is 2004 to 2008, the schema work was there, but all I had to take from the schema work was some of the objectives, and it was not a matter of they haven't made progress, it was about refining, playing it again, go over it, break it down. It was very much um, what I call a mixture of show and tell, demonstration, imitation, demonstration, imitation. And what happened then for a good 45 minutes of the lesson was kids really got to refine their skills. And then after that, the game. And the game was broken down. So we do defence against attack or we do condition games. And what, what started to happen was you'd have different abilities in different parts of the field, but the skill level just went through the roof. Now, what I can say from that compared to now is totally different, but the journey the journey's different for teachers. As I said, I taught there for 11 years. Um, within those 11 years, a lot of experiences, ski trips, um, in charge of district football teams, basketball teams, basketball champions. Um, but I also became a head of year. Um, the pastoral route was really the only route that I saw for me to get into any form of leadership because within my department, there was a head of boys, head of girls, and there was a head department. There was no chance for me to even get that position or get that role. So I had to go in the pastoral route. And what the pastoral route taught me was how to um, understand the challenges that all students face, regardless of background, regardless of ability, regardless of, of, of actual um, academic prowess, every child has a different journey coming into school. And what the pastoral side taught me was how to um, understand that and how to empathize with that. And it changed my approach to teaching. It gave me a holistic way of approaching um, girls. So like um, when you're dealing with girls who are not engaged in PE, why are they not engaged in PE? What's the, what's the profile? What's the understanding behind it? But the same for boys. When you've got a disengaged boy, why is it? And un go a bit further, go that, get to meet the family, get to understand the whole child instead of just, here's a child coming into my lesson. So it, it strengthened my teaching tenfold, but it also made me frustrated because I started to see <coughs> it's not fair. Um, I started to see that there's not enough PE. The students love PE, they love to exercise, I love that freedom, but education is just being pushed. Academia, academia, academia. And the mental health of it, I started to see the mental health side. I started to see the breakdown of students, the stress, the anxiety, the eating disorders, the many things that they go through that you don't see as a teacher, I started to see. So it impacted me very much as a professional, but also made me more driven to make a change through PE. 
So fortunately, I, I was given the post as a head department school in South London, um, a very large multi-academy school, um, renowned for its private school status, but also renowned in London for its academic status in terms of the academies in London are doing very well. Um, I went into the school, the results were very low in terms of GCSEP. So that was my focus, get the results up and improve the department. I had two individuals in the department that were um, very much focused, very much driven, um, very much on the journey to becoming either a next head of department or, or higher but didn't really understand or see their potential. Um, I think they related to me more as a black male because they were black themselves. So what I said as a head department, they were like my, they were like my soldiers. If I said something, they'd do it times 10. Whereas I had to, or I felt like I had to overcome the white teachers in the department. The white teachers in the department had to prove myself. White teachers in the department would say things like, before we used to do this, before we used to do that. So I'm facing those battles. So what I did was, I didn't really change that much. I came in and kept it as it is. Because for me, I'm always going to be judged on what I bring to the department. So I'm going to come in and just see what happens. I could only do that for three months. Because if I continued to do that, the department wouldn't have improved. And there were little things that I tweaked and there were a lot of things that I kept. But when I made those tweaks, one individual in particular, a white, very middle class, I call him upper class, rugby orientated, challenged everything. He would challenge everything and he would challenge it to the extent where he would rant, he would rave, he would, he would get aggressive, he would then have an approach to me that was different to the rest of the department. So for me to line manage him, I then empowered another individual in my department, gave them the autonomy to give him the power to improve, but also explain the journey. And again, the aggression towards her was worse. So I then started to realize that even though the school can see that this teacher is not good enough for the school, good enough for the department. You're then giving me the, the rope to hang myself by trying to empower, improve this teacher, knowing that he's not gonna listen, knowing that he's abusive, knowing that he's challenging, and knowing that it's, it's actually affecting my department, you're putting him in there. You're not giving me the chance to improve. So in the end, I just had to like, look at how far I've made the department go, and where else can I go with it? I got the results up to 75% A star to C, which was above national average at the time. I got the results up to a level where I felt I've made an impact, where there was always, there was never below 10% increase in results every year. And I was there for four years. So if you add that up, that's a 40% increase where they were. As far as I'm concerned, if I was white and doing that in any other department, they would be like, what's he doing? And put me into senior leadership. But they wouldn't do that because I'm just the PE teacher. The head of PE, what's he doing? You're not gonna get that prowess. So I was getting increasingly frustrated 
because I'm making waves in the school. Sports day change, everything changed, but I'm not getting the representation or the 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 development that I that I really wanted. I was given an opportunity to lead on um, behavior for learning with another colleague, an Asian lady. Um, but as per usual, PE gets given the behavior management roles because we're seen as controlling the masses. We're not seen as the educationalists. We're definitely not seen as the academics, even though our subject has a large amount of anatomy and physiology that is way higher and a lot more in depth than any human biology that's taught in any <coughs> key stage three or key stage four or A level science. But we still don't get that recognition. So it's very frustrating to be given the behavior flag and be seen as the person who is the savior for behavior for learning in the classroom. I was grateful for it, but having been um, the first person on what I know of as a diverse education course that was run from um, an academy in Crystal Palace, I started to understand that if you're black and you go into the behavior pathway, you can be pigeonholed. Your route to the top can be just totally cut and I don't want that to happen. So I started to seek employment elsewhere. Um, I didn't want to leave, but I felt I was forced to leave because the school started to do stuff to manipulate me as a head of department. Now I can see heads of science, heads of music having total control and accountability for what they're doing. Whereas they basically had a conversation with me and said, next year, because of the academic level of the students who are coming up, they felt that we can't make them do GCSEP. They're gonna to have to do BTECs. And I said that I wanted to run two courses parallel. I wanted to run the BTEC and GCSE. BTEC as a vocational option for the students who are practically orientated, but not necessarily on that academic pathway. And GCSE for those who are exceptional practically, so they could get the max grade practically, but also with good teaching, with outstanding teaching, we could get them to pass or even higher at GCSE. But they enforced it. I had 75 kids signed up to do GCSE and BTEC. And it got to Easter, and the deputy head at the time was like, no, you're definitely just gonna have to do BTEC. Parents wrote in, parents actually got quite violent towards a deputy head. It was quite funny to see because it just showed what this school was trying to do. But I realized that I can't stay here because if I'm the head of the department and I know what it's like and I know what's required and you're telling me different and you just sit in the office, you don't come to the field, you don't understand what these kids can do, then I've got to leave. So I left and I'm in the school where I am now where I've had total autonomy for PE. I've grown the GCSE from a primary stage. It's still at a primary stage because the school is only five, six years old. So GCSE PE, the first cohort only went through last year. Um, the current cohort, unfortunately, have been affected, um, which is hugely disappointing because there's a group of students there that are some of the best kids I've ever taught practically in my life, like raw talent, proper South London kids, like no kit, 
attitude, but when they're in kit and when they're on task, outstanding students and um, their academic prowess improved, their understanding of PE improved, their desire to do well improved. They, they, they totally set a bar of fitness and performance that has made them, some of them are like uh, very strong basketball players. They're London champions, which is an achievement when you think of the actual pool of students that we have in this school. We don't have the pick of 100 boys in the year group and 100 girls. We literally have less than 120 students in a year group. So, yeah, to have that pool of boys in this year and girls as well was, was really humbling and made me realise what you can do with the, with the support of good coaches. Because the department, like I say, hasn't got all qualified PE teachers. We've got a dance teacher who's just um, completed a second year in, in teaching. We've got uh, uh, another newly qualified teacher who's a PE teacher. And we have a football coach. But that skill set and that level of coaching that they get is high. Like we have elite coaches that come into the school with our partnership with Southwark our partnership with ladies basketball, badminton, table tennis. We're exposing the kids to what it what is required. And we're also showing the school what we need. But as you know, PE is the last on the list for timetabling. It's the last on the list for funding. You know, you have to like battle the core before they realize that actually the fitter the more energetic, the more um, um, less stressed the student is, the better their academic profile will be. But that isn't seen anymore. They don't understand that or, or the, the government don't allow that. They've cut our PE. So that's my journey now. And I'm also, as you can tell, 17 years into teaching. So me personally, I ask myself the question, I have peers who are qualified with, who've gone on, they're now deputy heads. I've got peers who are qualified with who are now assistant heads. Whereas me, got the profile, got the background of pastoral and teaching and learning, but I'm still fighting that brick wall of going into senior leadership. So that's where my journey is now. And it's a difficult journey because I'm a team player. I feel that to be in um, middle, middle management for this long, I'm blocking or, or stopping an opportunity for another teacher. And, you know, this is going to be my fourth year, starting in September, within this role. Um, that'll be my eighth year as a, as a middle leader in terms of head of PE. It's time to move into senior leadership. But who's going to take that punt on me? Do you know what I mean? If you look at other schools or other institutions, I'll use sport because that's what I know. But if you're looking at a young player who's a basketballer, netballer, whatever, they could be fast, they've got the skill, they've got the flexibility, but they might lack a bit of fitness. You'll take the punt and improve their fitness. I feel that as a PE teacher, we are not seen as other teachers to be given that opportunity in senior management. And it's, like I said before, we're the behaviour saviours, but we're not the academics. That is a, there's so many points that you raised. <laughs> I don't even know what to call that. 
I, what you just closed on, 100%, I, I totally understand that. Um, and it's a battle that we've been fighting in peace for forever. Um, so yeah. Thinking to that, what would you say, what stereotypes have been applied to you? Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, so stereotypes. Now, I have to be politically correct, but I can give you comments. When I was a young teacher, um, you'd have comments from female staff on, look at his legs and more about what I look like than about my performance. Oh, he's so nice. Nothing about my teaching. So you'd be, you'd be sort of like ogled at or looked at as this object. That's one stereotype. And it was very difficult to deal with as a young man coming into teaching. I would say if I hadn't had the experience of professional sport or being exposed to, you know, being on a sports field and people looking at you, then I don't know how I'd cope with that. Because if I spin it round and I'm a man saying that about a female member of staff, I'd be out on my ear in seconds. And it was very, it was a very quick learning process. And again, I'd like to give credit to my, my first head department and my line manager. They kept me in check. They kept me aware of what I had to be like. But I'd also say that like comments would be made about I'm loud, um, I'm too confident, um, I'm not as reliable or I'm not on task all the time. Stereotypes that most black men have to face. Um, how I dress, it'd be a joke about how you dress when there's a staff function. Or if I was in a staff function like her parents even though I was smart, they'd be like, wow, don't you look good outside of your pee kit? What do you mean I can't look good in a suit? Do you know what I mean? So it's like, it's like you're having to um really fight that battle all the time and coincidentally when i got my job in the first school in south london my first head of pe job that was like a running joke for about two three months that you know the deputy head was like amazed by how how i looked in my suit so that's why you got the job you didn't get the job because you're good enough you got the job because of how you looked so again it's like what are you trying to portray? So as a black male, I'm ogled at, or as a black male, you can't get a job on academic reasons alone. Stereotypes. Um, I've had stereotypes in interviews. So interviews where you go into an interview and you feel like if you're like how we are and confident and talking and being as present as possible, that that might not fit the bill. So you try and reserve yourself, okay? You try and hold back. So when you have the open discussions, you try and hold back, put your point across, but then you're told that you're too laid back. You weren't, you weren't imposing yourself. You're too relaxed. You didn't take it serious. So again, this laid back, I'm, I've got Afro-Caribbean background. They feel that's how you are. You're just, you're just not motivated towards it. And that's always been a battle that I've had to face and that I'm aware of. So again, like I said, I've been on leadership courses specifically for black leaders and we get educated as black leaders, middle leaders, senior leaders, in terms of when we go for an interview, make sure you're clean shaven, 
make sure you dress in a certain way. You're having to conform, but not be authentic, which for me isn't right. You should always be authentic. You should always be your authentic self, but that authentic self, is it gonna be accepted? And that's a question that challenges those stereotypes. The stereotype of the black male PE teacher, he's good, he's great with the kids, but, you know, there's always a but. So for me, you know, it's highly frustrating and I can speak from recent experience now, it's highly frustrating because it's like without exposing um, um, where you work or who you've worked for, you are always having to earn your stripes before. Earn your stripes before. So like when you see, um, I can resonate with the England cricket team because that's what I played. And when you see like Jofra Archer's performing for England, he's a great bowler, he's a black male and he's representing. He's the only one in the team. But the minute he's off performing, the minute he drops his pace, the minute he's not giving 100% effort, they start to question his attitude. They start to question his place. And then there's a challenge. And I think, as with everything, you know, in 17 years of experience, I've gone through hearings, I've gone through disciplinaries. Nothing's easy because you're, you're in a subject where you're exposed. Yeah, so you could have challenged a student and a student complains. It, has that been an even playing field? I beg to say no. You know what I mean? Have I had challenges? Yes, all the time. And I just think there are stereotypical views that some managers have of you and you're having to fight them. Definitely agree with you on that one. I'd slightly touch on the next question because I was ringing out. So how do you feel stereotypes have influenced your role so far? Um, stereotypes have influenced my role because um, I qualified as a PE teacher in 2004. In 2004, um, the university that I went to, which is, it was called UIC at the time, it's now called Cardiff Metropolitan University. That university had National Indoor Athletic Stadium, outdoor athletic stadium, swimming pool, rugby pitches, indoor tennis arena, etc., etc. It had all the facilities that match Bath University, that matched Exeter University, that matched Leeds, Carnegie. It produced what I call some of the best PE teachers. So when you look at your pathway and your journey, it has to be stereotypes that have kept me still teaching PE. I'm 41 years old and I'm still planning schemes of work. I'm still taking fixtures. I'm still, I'm not influencing. I am at a middle leadership level, but I'm not at a senior leadership level. And it resonates to me that, again, the stereotype that you face is that no matter how many successes you've had, it's not enough. No matter how many impacts you've made, it's not enough. You're kept in this glass ceiling of middle leadership where you cannot punch out of 
but you're conforming and you're controlling, especially in London, where you're controlling the mass, the challenge, the problem, the issue. Ah, oh, I'm struggling with this kid. Do you think you can get him into this? Ah, oh, you're, you're doing the same thing over and over again, but the recognition and the opportunity is not there. And it has to be a stereotype. Some people might call it a prejudice. I'm not gonna call it racism because I feel if it's racism, then I wouldn't be within that role. It's a prejudice and a stereotype. It's a fact that I'm in this position as a senior leader. I'm not used to seeing many black males in senior leadership. The fact that there's only 1% that are head teachers. So why am I gonna employ, or why am I gonna put someone in that role when no one else is doing it? Do you see what I mean? It's like, literally, it's not the trend. Do you know what I mean? Where they say the trend is now Rosenstein's way to teach, or where they say the, 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 the trend now is cognitive load in teaching, or where they say the trend is now, you know, online learning, everyone's jumping on it. Well, actually, black people are out there saying that for how many years, and like I say, how many years in education, there's still the same stats. Black boys are underperforming, yeah? Black Afro-Caribbean boys are way underperforming. Black African boys are outperforming black Afro-Caribbean boys. Do you know why? Does anyone know why? Does anyone understand that the journey for Afro-Caribbean boys who, who, whose ancestors or grandfathers or grandmothers were the Windrush Empire, they've now passed on. So who are their role models? Where are the traditions of going to Sunday school or going to church or having place teams? All that's gone. So they now got challenges. And you know what? The, the, the original generation that are now educated, that have now benefited from, from what their grandparents gave, that are now in positions to actually influence and create a smoother pathway are not getting there. So you've got a systematic issue. People call it racism. I'm telling you, it's outright prejudice. You are not going to get to the top. You are not going to influence because then the leadership of the school or the, the holistic approach of the school will show a greater reflection of who should be in leadership, but who should also serve their community. Because you can't tell me a teacher that's doing over 25 hours teaching isn't getting frustrated and then the longer they're doing that for and the ideas that they have that they keep seeing working keep getting outstanding you're a good teacher yet you're still not seeing that progress you're going to end up leaving hence there's a dropout rate of black teachers so there's an issue stereotype yes prejudice yes institutional racism within the top schools, 100% yes, because you don't, you're not seeing black teachers in those schools. Black teachers are always in the school that's halfway off the cliff and it's gonna shatter any moment. Do you know what I mean? So come on, like stereotypes, 100%, they're there and they're fa we're facing it every time. That's a brilliant answer. And the thing is, I think what you highlighted there is our structural problems because People are trying to do stuff. It's very evident, but yeah. we're just them through. So my thing then is, 
how do you how do we go about change? What is your opinion on how we're going to go about change from here? Hundred percent. Okay, I firmly believe that knowledge is power. Okay, knowledge is power. Like when you look at guys like Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Bernie Grant in the UK, Diane Abbott, David Lamming. They haven't got to the top by just campaigning, arguing, pushing. They're educated people, yeah? Educate Barack Obama, Michelle Obama. Like, these people are serious. Yesterday, when Michael Holden spoke on Sky Sports News, or Sky Sports um, um, Cricket, and literally broke down on TV, for me, inside the fire was burning because his journey he got to the top in his sport and he dominated for how many years with a team that were like for me as a kid they were like the brazil of, of cricket okay now how brazil dominated football the west indies dominated cricket for a long time but they implemented change if it wasn't for the west indies i wouldn't have had the opportunity to be a youth international and play cricket because as a young black man playing cricket in England, I wouldn't have been looked at in a curious way to be given that opportunity, yeah? So they broke down a barrier, the open doors. But what you can see now, where Jofra Archer's the only black cricketer at that level, you can see that that door's slowly going back to its old because the amount that came through the system the Alex Tudors, the Phil DeFreitas, the Devon Malcolms, the Chris Lewis's, etc., etc., NASA Sainz, they'll get the media role. You'll be the pundit. You'll write the news, but you're not going to be the manager. You're not going to be the coach. You are not going to lead. So we're still facing the battles how many years that Michael Holden, John Barnes, Linford Christie, they've all broken down that. And I'm talking about sport. But then when you look on the political journey, or the business journey, and you look around London itself, how many big businesses are owned by black businessmen? How many law firms? How many um, builders are, are owning, owning huge building companies? So the issues across nearly every single field, we are not in those positions to influence change. So where I go back to the knowledge is power, us as teachers have to look at ourselves and say, when we go into teaching, why are we going into teaching? Are we going into teaching just to earn money? That ain't enough because it's a vocation. You're trying to, to push and push and create opportunities for every single child, regardless of color or creed, okay? However, when you implement that change and when you give that child that book or that opportunity to learn, let them know the challenges that they're going to walk into, the challenges that they need to face, that they're going to face, so that they're empowered when they leave, when they study, they understand the journey. So they're not disheartened. They're not feeling that they're not good enough because that's the first challenge that we face to implement changes that people face failures and they're not resilient enough to rise above those failures. So when you rise above the failure, which I say I have, and I've got to a certain level of my teaching career. 
The next thing is, you've got to keep knocking at the door. So of everything I've said in terms of the barriers, the challenges, the stereotypes, the prejudice, the like, uh, maybe another school would suit you because your skill set, the usual conversation. What you have to do is, is network. As a, as a group of black men who are in teaching, as a group of black women who are in teaching, as a BAME community in teaching, you have to get together. You have to support each other. You have to sponsor each other. So if you see a job role coming up, message each other. We're all gonna apply for it. You know why? Because one of us gotta get through. And then when one of us gets through, they've gotta keep denying, denying. How long are you gonna deny? Then once you start getting to a certain level, okay, when you start getting into leadership, the same as you recognize talent, you've got to start providing opportunities for the BAME community. The change at the moment is minimal. Will we ever see a black UK prime minister? I don't think so, yeah? But before you see a black UK prime minister, will we have more than 10% of UK schools represented by BAME head teachers. Because BAME is covering a wider context than black. So once we get BAME, then we're going back to this issue. Black people are not in leadership. Why? So are we gonna see a change to that stereotype? I believe there has to be changed by three simple steps. Educate, Determination to succeed, so you've got to apply, you've got to push, you've got to try. And then once you're in that position, recruit and build. Recruit and build. Give opportunities. Because the teacher that gave the opportunity to me to become a PE teacher, I'm forever grateful for, regardless of their colour. And I'll never, ever step back from that. However. The journey now is about how many head teachers or how many leaders can look back on my career and say they gave me the opportunity to lead, manage and develop my career. That's, what, that's the conscience that they've got to face. And, and for me, nothing's given. And to get into leadership, you're given the discussion of you need to do this course, and that course, and this course. However, there are leaders who haven't done that. There are leaders in positions who are doing those courses on the job. Why? Because they've, they've proven themselves, they've got the skills. So have I. So that change, and, and the advice for that change is, voices need to be heard, um, forums need to be heard, I'm sick and tired of black leadership courses and from those black leadership courses, how many of us are going into leadership? I'd like to see that stat. And then why is it now, because of what's happened, unfortunately, George Floyd, the athlete the other day, numerous people face racism every day in London and around the world. Why is it now that they're trying to stand up and make aware? For me, like, it's happened for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. 
and the stats aren't changing. And I believe the next generation are influenced by teachers. And if teachers are facing it at primary level and secondary level, then how do you expect society to change if education is not changing? 100% agree with you on that. <laughs> and I, but you, oh, I don't even know what to say on that. Let me, let me speak to you. Is there anything else you would like to add first? Um, I'd just like to add that, you know, in this current climate, um, and this is, this is, it, 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 it touches a nerve because like I can say, there are experiences that I've faced in my career that some teachers haven't faced, you know, some teachers haven't gone through that journey. And I've had, I've had situations that, you know, I can't really expose, but I can say that, you know, I've been, yeah, I've been physically, physically assaulted in a workplace and, and not really been supported by a school. If I was a smaller, frailer individual, I would have been badly hurt in that situation. And that runs deep with me in terms of the school left me out there to dry. In fact, tried to spin it on me in terms of, you know, you were attacked because the student felt threatened by you. So his family came up to the school, some crazy environment. So then I started to look at the whole institution and where do I sit in this institution? And I firmly believe that in education, there are stakeholders. There are people that add value to education, there are people that don't. And where am I in that stakeholdership? So if I live up to the stereotype, I am the stakeholder that can come in, or this is how you're seen, I'm the stakeholder who can come in and create great relationships with kids, can build a community, can actually conform and, and, and focus the students so there's a, there's a level of, of desire, but also behavior is calm, okay? But then outside of that stakeholdership, in terms of empowering students to learn, giving them autonomy, giving them agency, giving them the mindset to succeed and actually have influence on education, I'm not that stakeholder. I'm never gonna get that stakeholdership. Because even if I become an assistant head, even if I become a deputy head, there's a head teacher, then there's a CEO. Who are the CEOs? Who are the governors? Who are these people? Like, are they representing us? Are they people who have had to come from a working class background, have no have no um, um, academia around them. So have parents that haven't been to university, have a family that haven't. Have you got that sort of profile in these positions that can then relate to the community? Because let's not get it twisted. It's not just black students that face those challenges. White students face those challenges. Asian students face those challenges of adversity, um, of, of poor socio-economic challenges and that's why education is important because we've said it if knowledge is powerful and you're trying to learn 
and you're trying to improve yourself, as an educator, you've got to know the journey. You've got to understand the journey. So when you're making these exclusions, when you're getting kids that are not learning, have you looked at the relationship? Have you looked at your recruitment policy? Have you looked at um, um, who's in front of your children and are they the right people for your children? And then when you've looked at that and you can say, yes, I'm meeting the needs, then happy days, like, I'll support that school. But I'm a frustrated black male in education. Should that be happening? Should that be, is, is, that, is that right? That you've got someone with that much experience that is so frustrated that realistically, if there's something more secure and, and along the same lines of making change for young people, I wouldn't be doing this vocation because I can't really do what I want to do. Do you get what I mean? So ultimately, why is that? You know, how can I sit and be in a situation where sometimes there's people who are more advanced than you within your role that you could do the same job? Or there's ideas that you could bring to the role that people aren't bringing, yet you're not getting given that opportunity to bring those things. There's an approach that you have and a way to coerce and discuss with people that would make people work and buy into what you're doing, but you're not getting that opportunity. Do you know how hard that is to swallow? So for me, it's about, my voice is going out there to the people. Where are the, where are the schools who are saying black lives matter, who are saying we are trying to make change? Where are these schools making opportunities or giving opportunities to young, aspirational, driven black men and women to make that change. Because you ain't gonna make that change by coming in in September and standing in front of a community that is largely diverse and saying to them, we understand, we get it, when they're looking at you and they know you don't get it. Because you haven't got it for how many years before when you haven't spoke to them. You don't understand where they're coming from. And also, when you're doing that, when a black person delivers that, do you know how powerful it is? And I'll say it again, when you watch what Michael Holden said, he had an impact on people instantly yesterday. So imagine how many schools could have that impact if they had leaders within those schools that represent the community. And that's, that's where I sit with that. You've put me to silence. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> fantastic contribution and I'd just like to say thank you so much for everything that you've offered us um, today. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to the BMP Mail Series Podcast. Please like and follow our podcast in your player and share widely. Your amplification helps. <laughs>